Welcome to the Table Podcast. We hope what you hear today inspires joy in your heart and causes you to be convinced that God is good and He is for you. Enjoy the message. So uh, last week we looked at a passage in um, John chapter 10. We specifically honed in on verses 1 through 5. And Jesus is addressing the Pharisees. These are the religious rulers of the day about what the leadership of Christ really looks like. Jesus immerses himself in our daily lives and becomes connected to us in a very intimate way. And he, he um, makes the connection or creates this symbol of a shepherd. Um, and he approaches us face to face. He doesn't come around the back door. I love that. He, he's not sneaky. He's not trying to like, you know, come in in a way where we're startled or we're alarmed. Like there's no place uh, for fear when perfect love is pursuing you. So like he's going to meet you face to face. And what does that let us know? That he's communicating his intentions, that he is pure, that he actually has the authority to pursue you and approach you in that manner. Whereas the thief and the robber, if they have to sneak in, they didn't have the authority to come, right? Because if you have the keys to the house, you don't have to come in through the back door. You don't have to break a window. When you have the keys, when you have the authority, what door do you go through? The front door. Or if you're from Louisiana, you go in that side door by the garage. But either way, (laughs) you have permission to get in, right? I remember when I first started um, coming down here, I'm originally from Arkansas, and I had to stop by and visit people's houses. And the front door wasn't actually the door they wanted me to go in. And I'm like, okay, this is awkward. You want me to go in the side of your house, like that side door. And so, like, either way, the front or the side, wherever uh, your culture leads you, you're invited there and you have the authority to come there. But if you come in the back, if you have to open a window, if you have to jar something loose to get in there, you didn't have the authority. You didn't have permission. So Jesus is saying that anyone who didn't embody his heart Just like the Pharisees, they did not have permission to come in and to have influence over his people because they were trying to sneak in the back door because they knew they didn't have authority and they were misusing people. I'm preaching now. They they were doing things that did not align with the heart of God. And Jesus says, no, only a thief and a robber will come at you that way. I will come to you face to face with pure intentions and I have the authority to come near to you because of God the Father. Mm. Amen. I know I get excited. We ain't even in there yet. This is just the intro. Praise God. So Jesus fully invested in our lives. And the other thing that we notice the contrast between the robber and the thief and the shepherd is that the robber wants to take from us, but Jesus wants to provide for us. Write that down. The thief and the robber wants to take from us, but God, he wants to provide for us. And we learn that a shepherd typically plans out the pastures where the sheep will graze. So naturally following the shepherd will keep you in a place of good care and protection. We think that because we don't know what's coming, that the one that we follow doesn't know what's coming. That's where anxiety comes from. We're anticipating a future we can't see, but when we're following the one that planned the future, we don't have to be anxious. When we're following the one that says, I actually know what's coming. I've actually anticipated all the danger. I've anticipated what will go right and what will go wrong. And I know where you're going. And I know that everywhere that I'm leading you, there is provision, there is protection, and there is purpose. Everywhere that the Lord leads you, he will have that available. And so when we realize 
that Jesus is already going before us, that there's nothing that's catching him off guard. We get caught off guard, but he's not. We can rest in his leadership. We can rest in the places that he's taking us. Even if it's unfamiliar and uncomfortable, it doesn't mean it's not planned. Oh, yes. Somebody received that word because there's been plenty of times where I have gone with God and gone, um, this is uncomfortable. Are you sure we're supposed to go here? Because all I can see is this looks like a low place. But what I don't realize is that we're going higher. He just has a better vantage point. He's always taking us into more, into better, into his goodness. But it may be uncomfortable, but that doesn't mean it's unplanned. So we're not haphazardly following Christ. We're following an intentional God who's paid attention to all the details, who has anticipated everything that's coming, and he has ample provision for everywhere he leads you. Somebody write that down. Jesus also stated in those first five verses that we as sheep have the ability to know his voice. I don't know about you, but there were cultures that I grew up in, in church cultures, where I thought only the pastor and those really holy people could hear from God. Uh-oh, I'm going here tonight because I think we need to dispel this. When, when we look at sheep, they are all the same in the eyes of the shepherd. Some have spots, some are dark, some are lighter. He's not saying that there's certain sheep that can do this or certain sheep that can't. Every sheep that practices hearing the Father's voice actually is able to listen and respond. What's funny is, in the natural, there are sheep, as small as their brains are, that know the difference between a general call and their own name. So that means what you perceive as your ability and all these other things that potentially disqualify you, Jesus is comparing you to animals that normally wouldn't have the functionality, but relationship has produced an ability that they didn't have without him. He trains them. He teaches them. You can hear from the Lord for yourself. Now, there is nothing wrong with wise counsel. There's nothing wrong with asking someone else to be in prayer when you're going through something. But let me tell you, God wants to speak directly to all of us. And he does that in a in plethora of ways. One, through the scripture. Of course, you're reading something, it jumps out at you, it hits your heart. That's definitely one way. Sometimes just in prayer, you will get an inspired thought that you know did not come from you. And it'll be encouraging, it'll be uplifting, it'll be something that you know you wouldn't say over yourself, but you should say over yourself. Amen. And that's, that's the Lord. You know, and, and then there's those friends that, you know, stay in the prayer closet and you can't wait until they talk to you because you already know they got a word for you. I got them friends. Amen. I am that friend. Amen. <laughs> and, and in those moments, it is a confirmation of something that God has already been speaking to you. And that's what makes it fun. How about you have something in your prayer closet that your friend doesn't even know? And the next day they come back and tell you the same thing. And you're like, whoa, whoa, you wasn't in my room. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you weren't there. This had to be from the Lord. And that builds your faith. It helps you be like, you know what? He does want to talk to me. Dreams. There's, I've had some dreams before where I was like, whoa, I need to run this by somebody and see what this is about. And there ended up being some substance there, a, a warning that God was giving me. And just different things that you, you throw it away and go, oh, no, surely not. God wouldn't do that to me. Yes, he would, because love will find any way to get your attention. Love will find any way to communicate with you. He will use imagery, pictures, nature. The list will go on. That'll be a whole nother series in itself. God does speak to you. And he uses as many ways as it takes. 
for you to know that he loves you and that he is wanting you to know his heart. We also talked about one of the ways to distinguish the shepherd's voice is to learn how to block out the voice of the stranger. Amen. It's just as important that we know the way that God doesn't speak to us. Because he never uses fear, shame, intimidation, or accusation. When we hear those things, we should run and go in the other direction. The text of the scripture says that the sheep will know the voice of the shepherd and a stranger's voice he will not follow. That means you do not have to entertain it. You don't have to meditate over that or turn it over in your head. You have permission from the Lord to get as far away from that thing as possible. Amen. This is how we partner with the Lord and we, we let go of those false attachments because the enemy is the one who accuses, brings fear and shame and condemnation. The Lord does not do that. So when you learn to distinguish what the stranger's voice sounds like, that helps you to better hear the voice of God. When you know he doesn't talk to you this way, then you don't listen to those thoughts when they come in your head. You don't have to process those. Those are not for you to even think about again. You can be like, oh, nope, nope, goodbye. And it's a practice. It's something that you have to do continually. But you have to know what God's voice sounds like so you can see the contrast. And I think studying the life of Jesus, studying his teachings, listening to the way that he describes himself and the way he handles conflict, relationships, all of those things in the context of scripture gives you a better reference for when God is speaking to you. So this week, that sounded like already one sermon, praise God. Um, we're not even there yet. So this week, we're, are, we're going into verses 6 through 11, and we're going to unpack more of the nature of Christ continuously through the imagery of the shepherd. He does this for about 18 verses, so I just decided we're going to take a chunk every week and just break it down. We ain't got to rush. We can, we can take our time in this, because I think sometimes we have the temptation to just fly through. But when you just take chunk by chunk and just chew on it, man, it just becomes so much more real and it saturates your heart, right? So Jesus had a beautiful way of revealing deep, intimate truths about his nature through the imagery of daily life. He's revealing the kingdom's heart and initiative using a role that was common to most people in the culture. However, as we read in these verses, the people who don't seek to unpack these truths that Jesus was revealing, they often just miss the revelation. If you approach this text and go, well, I don't know nothing about shepherds, so um, I guess I'll skip this part. Well, you're going to miss some good stuff. And so Jesus intentionally used simple imagery, but he packed in so much truth that if you didn't choose to unpack it and just figure out what did he mean by something, you will miss key revelation. And, and I think that's because he knew that some people just wanted to hear, but some people really desired to respond. And, and so that's why this parable as he's speaking to the Pharisees, they were people who didn't really want to hear. So a lot of this is going over their heads, right? And, and it says uh, in John 10, verse 6, that this figure of speech, Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what those things were, which he had been saying to them. See, they were looking for straightforward knowledge, no connection. They just wanted to say, are we right or are we wrong? 
That was their agenda. So when they approached Jesus that way and he's sharing with them the truth, they just didn't get it. They were like, shepherds, whatever, we don't care. Who cares about shepherds? They're weak sauce. Like, that's what, that's their mentality. <laughs> because shepherds in that culture were not esteemed, you know, by the religious rulers. They thought they were the ones on top. So a shepherd means nothing to them, right? And, and so they didn't even catch the deeper message and the deeper meaning that Jesus is sharing. But for some reason, he continues on. I don't know if he just wants to unpack this where they really get it or if he's just like, well, I'm going to say it anyway. Probably the latter because that's what I do, but <laughs> he keeps going. See, the Pharisees have no clue that Jesus is coming against the way that they falsely led the people of God. He's actually telling them, you've been getting this all wrong in the name of God. You have been misleading people all of this time away from my heart with your religious practices, your staunch rules, and your separation, making yourselves look better than everyone else. And I've got to come wreck this because humanity doesn't even know the gift that they've been given in me because the way that you've been leading. Ooh. So let's read on to see how Jesus reiterates his point. Verse 7, so Jesus said to them again, truly, truly which this means, this is the truth right here. He's emphasizing, right? I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. So until I did some checking into this, I thought normally a door is used to determine who goes in and out. And, and I'm thinking, okay, the door, mm, we have doors that go in. Or but then I thought about, let me look up what it means as a shepherd to have a door. What is the door for a sheep gate? Because remember, we have to stay in the context of what he's sharing. And, and so when I looked it up, this is actually not a door at all. The door to the sheep gate is a physical person. Hmm, isn't that interesting? So shepherds are the protector of the sheep, and they use their own bodies to do it. So this isn't your typical door. He's alluding to the level of sacrifice, the level of intensity that he's willing to fight for us is through his own body. This is a different concept than what we are used to thinking. This means that he is guarding all. He's not saying you can't come in and go out because you'll read on that they can go freely. What he's protecting is the thief and the attacker that tries to come in. And he has placed himself in between what is against us because he's for us. That's what the door represents. A God who is for us that will stand between everything else that comes against us because he loves us. Yes, Lord. Jesus is showing the deep passion and the sacrificial love that he has for us in this one statement. See, he is not merely guarding a gate, but he has become the one who will lay himself down for us. If anything was coming against the sheep, they would have to go directly through the shepherd and he would die before he let harm come to them. This is love. We're seeing a deep foreshadowing here of Jesus' life being laid down for us, but also the level of passion and the love that he has because we were worth him laying everything down for Verse 8 says, all who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. See, I read a few commentaries on this one, and it seems 
that many people posed as Messiah before Jesus came. So when he's referring to these ones who came before him, they were imposters that promised that they were something that they weren't. And, and see, this culture was familiar. They knew that there was supposed to be a Messiah coming. They have known this for hundreds of years. And, and so all throughout time before Jesus came, there would be people who would use his position. There were people who would try to pose as he, and, and they would want political power or all of these other things, but they didn't mean well by the people. They just wanted some sort of clout. They wanted an advantage. So he's saying, there's a lot of people that said that they were me before I got here. There's a lot of people that posed that they were me, but none of them wanted to be the door. They just wanted an advantage. And so he's distinguishing the fact that he is the Messiah who has come fully God and fully man. And everyone else that's declared that they were him in the past didn't possess this heart. Mm. And, and so when Jesus comes, he distinguishes himself from all the imposters by coming in power and demonstrating the love of God, not demanding, but serving. Jesus is also pointing to the fact that he never had his own agenda or personal gain. You were his gain. You were what he desired. You were what he was after. And, and he came to this place where he realized he had to introduce the true heart and true intentions because there had just been imposter after imposter after imposter to the point where the people didn't even know what to look for anymore. And I believe that you will see in, in history of religion and how it has been abused and used to oppress people. This is why Jesus was so adamant about tearing down that system and revealing his true intentions for humanity. Now, here's the challenging thing. If we've placed Jesus in any of those categories, if we've thought that he was demanding, if we thought that he was oppressive, if we thought that he was, you know, lording over us and, and, and domineering instead of serving, what we have to do is we have to say to ourselves, does this align with the Jesus that I'm seeing consistently in Scripture? We have to question, are some of these thoughts uh, uh, from other influences of people who meant well? but they ultimately deceived us because the Jesus that I'm reading here is not the Jesus that I always hear about in church. The Jesus that is unpacking his level of investment and love and compassion and willingness to lay things down. I didn't hear about him all the time. I did hear it was somebody I was supposed to be afraid of. I heard it was somebody that I, if I messed up, he was going to throw me away. And, and I'm, looking, I'm looking in the text going, what, what, where is that? Because everything that Jesus describes is an invitation where he desired me. He wasn't angry. He knew I would miss it, but yet he still laid his life down. So I had to reconcile. And we all have to do that in our lifetime to say, who is Jesus? Is he what I've heard him to be or is he what he said he is? And that's up to us. Guess what? As, as well as I would love to break it down and teach you, you still have to go home and look it up. You still have to get in your time and study and, and ask some questions and do some digging because this is your life. I think so many times we've let leaders and other people determine the course of our lives and we don't even investigate what we're hearing. 
Even if you hear something from me, go back to the word. Check the Holy Spirit because we're all flawed and we're all imperfect. But at the end of the day, it's up to you to find out who Jesus is. I can just encourage you from my experience, from my history, and from what I'm diving in. But I'm not the authority. Christ is. Amen. I really believe that this is where we've had so many issues is that we have put the weight on everyone else, other people who have done their due diligence, and we say, well, this is what they said, so I guess I'm going with it. But when the trial comes, when you really go through some stuff and you've got to reconcile the goodness of God, that person might not be anywhere around. So then what you going to do? You've got to go back to the source. You've got to go back to who Jesus has said he is. And, And then you have to be able to process that with him through the lens of grace you know so verse 9 says I am the door if anyone enters through me he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture so Jesus is referring to himself as the way to experience the kingdom of God the kingdom of heaven the way that we find out all that God has intended for us as his own. This is how we do it, through Jesus. He has established his covenant with us through Christ by his spirit. And we have abundant provision and freedom. We are not roaming aimlessly. We have a purpose There's substance, there's love, there's so much here. But the only way that we can fully see that expression, the only way that we can fully encounter that is through Jesus. So he's saying, if you come in to relationship with me, if you come into life with me, you're going to find that there's big pasture out there. That there's so much provision, there's so much passion, there's so much love, there's security, there's safety all the things that we look for everywhere else, he actually fully embodies what we need in those areas of our lives. And he's the one that lets us journey with him and it's not as restrictive as we thought. If you've ever looked at sheep, they don't stay in a single file line. They're roaming wide open spaces. Some of them are one place, some, some sheep are another place, but they're all still going towards the same way, right? And, and, and the shepherd is not monitoring how fast you're moving or how far you get there or how many steps you've taken. He's just inviting you on the journey, and he's providing everything you need along the way. So verse 10 says the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Because if there's sheep, there's definitely a thief somewhere around, right? But he says, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. And we know that the thief is Satan himself. That all he ever does is steal, kill, and destroy. That's his agenda for your life. But Jesus came to do the opposite. And I'm going to stay in this kind of vein of thought for a second. But I think one of the biggest misconceptions of following Christ is that he wants us to live this boring, mundane existence. And I'll speak, to my, I'll speak on myself. I was out there doing foolishness, partying, all that. Thought it was fun until it started beating me up. And I was like, okay, this is not fun. But my one thought was, 
But if I go do this Jesus thing, I ain't going to get to do nothing. It's not going to be fun. It's going to be so boring. And I got to do all these things and I got to follow all these rules. And, you know, like maybe I'll just stay out here a little longer. Even though the world is kicking my tail, I have fun sometimes, you know. And so I'm rationalizing. I'm getting muddy and bruised, but I'm still like, but it's boring, though. (laughs) If I go over here, (laughs) it's going to be real weak. And so, like, because we don't understand, like, the beauty and the awe and the wonder and what a life of holiness and purity is actually more fun than this junk. Until we get to that place, we can be majorly deceived that life in Christ is like, oh, my God, can we do anything, you know? But when you come into a place where you realize all the things you thought you got to do were tearing you apart, they were breaking you down, (laughs) they were causing anxiety, leaving wounds and scars that you eventually would have to get counseling just to get yourself through, you're like, whatever you got at this point, I'm going to take it. Because boring and healed is better than what I was doing over here. (laughs) Amen. That's just me. It may not be your testimony, but I'm telling you, I just got so tired of getting beaten up and beaten down for that temporary moment of pleasure. It wasn't worth it. In the grand scheme of things, let me take a step in what may seem mundane now because it's healing. It's wholeness. It's clarity of mind. It's peace when I go to sleep at night. It's joy despite my circumstances, and you stay in this water long enough, you realize that you was in some dirty stuff over there. I could have been swimming in clear waters, enjoying myself, but until you step in, you don't know how good you have it with Jesus. I never realized how beautiful it would be to wake up daily and not be struggling in shame. I never knew that regardless of whether or not it seems like I'm having an exuberant life as far as activities, I got to travel different places that I've never gone before, see places that I never thought I could see. Um, Man, people just blessing your life in ways that you never thought. I I just mentioned going on a mission trip and this lady's like, I'm just going to buy all your luggage. I'm like, what? See, because when I was in the struggle, that would never happen. There was no favor over here. I was scraping, struggling. I ain't going back. But yeah, so, you know, you just, even small things, people naturally being inclined to just support you and love on you in ways that you're just like, man, everybody would be in this if they knew how good they had it with the Lord. But that's what we're here for, for our testimony to bring people into the abundance and and not just circumstantially, emotionally, physically, you know, spiritually. Being full is something that is so beautiful. Nobody can take that from you. And and so when we realize what Jesus is providing, it's so much better than what we could have imagined. See, the life that we have now in Christ is vibrant. It's full of wonder, joy, and excitement. And and we can still feel secure even though there's areas of the unknown. We can anticipate goodness. We have hope. I didn't have hope over here because hope is a person. It's not positive thinking. It's not believing for the best because honestly, when you stay outside of God's heart, it is not the best. (laughs) It's when you get in and you see his goodness and you know it's following you for all the days of your life and you get to dwell in the presence of God and be loved unconditionally and known deeply and still be accepted. There's nothing better than that. Nothing. 
Because I tried everything else, and I'm telling you, it's not. See, the abundant life is also for the here and now. It's not a future existence. The kingdom of God has come. The abundant life is for now. It's not for after this life. It's for this one. It's present. It's alive. It is it's for us. And it's right here, right now. We're not waiting for you to change your behavior or think everything the right way. Like, no, that was not the requirement. Jesus gave it anyway. He provided it in himself and it's for you, no matter where you are. I found this quote in my study Bible. I thought it was cool. It says, Jesus calls us his followers, not to a dour, lifeless, miserable existence that squashes human potential, but to a rich, full, joyful life overflowing. Beautifully phrased. I don't, I don't think I could have said it like this. But I think that's the thing. Like when, when that quote said it doesn't squash human potential, that's the boring, not boring part I was talking about, where we actually get to figure out who we really are, our passions, what we've been placed on this earth for, purpose becomes more clear. We begin to realize that we have much more to offer the world that there's a reason why we're here in this generation, in this time, to be impactful, to do things that are meaningful. And I'm not just talking about philanthropy. I'm talking about loving people with the love of Christ, showing them his heart. That is a beautiful existence. The quote goes on to say that it yields blessing, favor, and continual fellowship with God. That is what makes life abundant. The relationship, the continual fellowship that will not be broken, meaning we have access to a good father that is constantly wanting to be connected to us in life. We have full and complete access to hear his heart, to dream with him. Some of the things that I'm doing in my life were dreams of God for me. Some of the places where he's taking me and the places that I get to go, the people that I get to connect with, the the countries that I'm visiting, they were dreams of God for me. I couldn't even dream them. I didn't have the level of creativity to to even believe that I could be the young adult pastor here, (laughs) more or less anything else that I've done. And, And so that's the cool part about this life is that he's dreamed for you beautiful things that you get to live And it's so purposeful. And you wake up every morning knowing, like, there's something that I'm doing here that matters. The world doesn't have that. Not yet. But when they encounter Christ, it becomes more real. It becomes more clear. Verse 11, this is the last one we're reading this week, says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus didn't just risk his life for the sheep as most shepherds do. He willfully and joyfully laid it down. His goodness, his provision, his planning, his details, all these things that he embodies as a good shepherd. The sacrifice is what reveals his love so much. The willingness to give up everything because you are everything to him. 
This is why he's the good shepherd. One who never demands, who never takes from you. He provides. He gives his love. He provides so much abundance and, and peace and joy. He plans beautiful things for you. He writes a beautiful narrative. And you know what else he does? He considers all the failures, all the mistakes, and all the brokenness, but yet he still keeps it in and makes the ending beautiful. I love that he's a God who can use anything and anybody. He didn't say, Siobhan, I'm going to write your failures out of your story. He's like, no, I'm going to leave them in because they were still a part of your existence. And when I make them beautiful in my timing, the world will know how powerful love really is. That you take broken experiences, broken things, and you can always find beauty in every single heart. Only perfect love can see you like that. Because I can't even see myself like that. There's times where I took parts of my story and I shoved them down. And I thought, surely this won't look good with the future that I have. Until I realized that some girl who went through what I went through needed to see that part so she could know to be here is because of the Lord. The things that I thought would bring shame for the rest of my life, God is writing the story where they become the thing I stand on to bring people into the fellowship of Christ. What kind of God, except a loving God, would do that? That is Jesus. That's the Jesus that I know. That's the one that he's talking about in this text. The one that takes every single part of who you are. Intertwines love in every space. And you become so much more beautiful because of it. See, Jesus doesn't just provide a way out of a bad life. He provides an abundant life with his He's the one that you can trust. He's the one that believes the best about you at all times. He's the one that champions you when you want to give up and you think you've messed up too much and you've gone too far away. He's the one that keeps drawing you into pasture after pasture of his love until you realize no matter what you do, this is always his heart for you. He's the one who sacrificed himself. He's the one that offers you more than you could ever imagine and doesn't ask for anything. He's the key to life and love. He's the way that we experience the fullness of God. He's the way that we're connected to God relationally and deeply. And our, our fellowship with the Father is producing blessing, favor, and joy. Jesus is enjoyment, excitement, awe, peace, provision, passion, purpose. I mean, I could go on and on. He is everything we need and everything we truly desire. That is Jesus. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. 
at the table, we are discovering Jesus together. If you were encouraged by today's message, do us a favor and subscribe to this podcast. That way you never miss out on future episodes. Also, help us get the word out by sharing this podcast on your preferred social media platform. To keep up on what's happening in our community, you can follow us on Facebook at The Table or on Instagram at The Table CCLA.